0: Welcome to the Keyforge Premier League podcast, where we will focus on the people of the community that are contributing to the growth of our sport. Get inside perspectives on the reasons they play Keyforge, what they think about the community, and various other sidebars and hijinks. Be sure to go to the website www.keyforgepremierleague.com to find everything you need to know to get started on your path to the top. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast, and if you have any inputs or requests, please reach out to us at League at gmail.com, and we will do our best to represent the demand of the player base. The Keyforge Premier League is by the community, for the community. So I have here with me Philip McKay. From Australia. He is the grand champion, first Grand Champion of Australia. Um, you guys have had two Grand Championships now, but you were the first, so I uh, welcome you to this discussion, and we're going to basically run through what Keyforge means to you, but before we get started, um, you've been a top player in multiple collectible card games, and uh, what was the draw that brought you to Keyforge?
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, look, I, I've i played a, a whole bunch of different games for different reasons, I guess. Um, when it came to some of the other games that I played, I went to them more so... Well, actually, no, I should start with Pokemon because Pokemon was sort of like the first collectible card game that I really did well in. And I started with that because I just liked playing Pokemon, right? I liked Pokemon when I was a kid um and it was just i like the pictures on the cards right and then i ended up doing pretty okay at it then i i moved into the other games like Yu-Gi-Oh, like magic and and all that sort of thing because of the competitive side of things particularly magic the gathering was the one which the, all the competitive players at some point deviate to unless you you know prefer the sort of competitive side of things in Yu-Gi-Oh, where it depends on your first five cards in which case you go to that one um So I I went to this because of the competitive sort of thing, the price support and whatnot. KeyForge was really different because we genuinely thought this was just a full meme game, right? We didn't take this seriously when it came out and like my mate ran a game store. So he said to us, oh, we've got this interesting new car game with this really wacky marketing model and all of my mates, like our group together, we have like a business owner, like a guy who works in property, like I, I'm in finance and law. So like we, we all have a sort of business mindset and we saw the the way that they were marketing it and the whole like unique deck idea. And we were like, oh, they managed to print loot boxes. How cool. Um, and it's uh, it it was it was a huge meme for us. Like we showed up and we played Seal and we were like, "Oh, this game's real real dumb." Hey guys, like control the week. Wow, look they they printed Time Walk again. Like fantastic. And we just saw all these cars and we were like, "Oh, look, Richard Garfield just printing all this weird shit that he wanted to do um, back in the day for Magic the Gathering that was too overpowered," and we we started it as just like this casual fun thing and no one really took it seriously and then i cracked so and we were like oh okay maybe maybe we should be playing this game seriously if i can crack decks like that and uh and then my mate cracked olivier and we were like all right cool we're we're in now boys like this this is it and it's always just been for us all card games are community things right like i would never stick with a game that i didn't have my friends playing alongside me. So even like Dragon Ball where i was definitely one of the best players in the country um and we saw that when like the first nationals happened for Dragon Ball, i i dropped that game so quickly when all of my friends dropped because i just have no reason to show up and um and play anymore. So it, it for for me in Keyforge having my group of friends around in my team that i can play with is is a huge, huge deal for me. I hope that the competitive side of things picks up in Australia. It's been really, really weak, obviously, because we had uh, grand championships twice. I think there were a couple of primes, and that's like it. Other than that, like we haven't had a volt tour. There's no, so, I, I don't think we ever will. Um, and we were supposed to have two more grand championships this year. Obviously, that didn't happen. I, I like these things. I wish there was more competitive stuff, but the fact that my friends are around and that I can just enjoy the mechanics is is good enough for me.
0: Yeah, Ke- Keyforge is definitely a community game, and it carries with it a, a pretty good stigma as far as the community goes and stuff. But what do you see as the potential for the game of Keyforge if it had proper backing?
1: Oh, I mean, like it's it's the same as any other FFG game, right? Like you, lo- I think that the best example of this is netrunner um because the netrunner game no longer has official licensing from ffg but they've gone on and continued to run like their own championships and printed their own sets and it's worked out really well for them um i think the guys running it are called like nisei or something like that uh, and, they're, and they're they're running it really really well and it's really good to see what they're doing if you take any game and you put money behind it like people will come it's just a fact of the matter. Like the competition is so much fiercer when there's money on the line. Even like Dragon Ball, uh, Dragon Ball and Yu-Gi-Oh are actually two big ones for this. Where in America there are a lot of uh, cash tournaments that are run, particularly in Yu-Gi-Oh as well, run by like ARG um, and companies like that. And, like uh, Dragon Ball has like Daylon Mac running stuff now, like the the NFL player he's decided to start running tournaments for Dragon Ball, uh, which is like, I mean, it's cool. Like, people get these sort of hype things happening and then competitive players come out of the woodworks and it becomes more competitive. I think the really good thing about Keyforge is that you can always force the casual environment to exist no matter what, right? Because you can't net deck. Like, if I rock up with a deck and I win... Then no one else is going to copy that list, but like you can copy the ideas, but you can't copy the list exactly. You can try and dig for it, but you can't. You you'll never get a card for card. So you'll always have these like sealed and draft environments where it's always going to be fun. So having that money side of things, that competitive side of things, is just functionally good for the game. It promotes growth. A competitive side of the community is always fantastic. Um, I, I really think it would. Like, it's not going to beat the top three ever, right? I think that's just, people have, we have to accept that. Like, it's not Magic, it's not Pokemon, it's not Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, you're never going to beat those. You're probably never going to beat Dragon Ball, because Dragon Ball has a massive IP. You're never going to beat, like, some of these Bushiro games, like Vanguard and White Schwartz because, like, Weeaboos, like, that's a force unto itself. Like, you can't, you can't top that, right? However, under those, like, big five, um, it's, it can be a very competitive game. It can have a really tight community. And overall, just be something very interesting that we can just be happy to be involved in. Um, as long as we do get like not just events from FFG, but also independent events as well. Like it, it, it comes down to those like independent companies and independent backers to then come out of the woodworks and say like, I want to run a tournament, or like we should have just any sort of event that is even if it's not necessarily affiliated with FFG, uh, just any sort of large event, which brings about, like, that sort of community engagement, like, makes it a fun sport to watch. Like, that's really what you want to have.
0: So what do you think is the thing that is holding back FFG from actually pushing forward? Do you think it has anything to do do with their affiliation to Disney?
1: Oh, that's... (laughs) That's a huge one. Um, Jeez. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, wow. That's... um, Man, this what this wasn't in the script. I I wasn't aware this was that big of a thing. Um you probably have to tell me more about that actually. I mean, well, the well, FFG has ties
0: to Disney through Star Wars and they have basically Oh yeah, right, right. They, they have all these these ties to Disney and stuff. And like I wonder how much that plays into the role of where they can go with their intellectual property without being stepped on by Disney's lawyer cuz I'm sure that the agreement between the two is very tight. Um, recently though they've had the whole release where they've stopped doing Star Wars stuff, but they still have the X-wing game, like the tabletop games and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so Disney lawyers and Disney um, will still always have their hands in FFG, and I wonder how much that basically goes into um, stumping a bit of the progress that they could be making on their own games, like the like Legends of the Five Ring, like Keyforge, like these are games that they own intellectually, and they basically could do a lot of things with. But I wonder how the Disney effect plays upon that and why maybe that's why we don't get clients.
1: That's it. That's actually really interesting. I haven't actually thought of of that particular particular lineup for KeyForge. So obviously I played Destiny um, competitive. Well, I mean, sorry, I w- I went to uh, um, I went to one um, national championships and I came top four, which is kind of funny. But um, the yeah, I, I I guess that I look. I would expect right just from my experience as a lawyer i would expect that disney probably doesn't have their fingers in all of the ffg pies but obviously i don't know what's going on behind the scenes if it is the case that they um they do have that much of an influence on fg then yeah obviously like that's gonna that's gonna influence things but i think if like if i'm a marketing executive at disney um and I'm looking at a, an additional revenue stream. Like you look at the the card game, the card well, just esports in general, right? Uh, which is a multi billion dollar industry. Like you jump in on that, absolutely. Like if you're if you're Disney and you're ru- like basically running FFG, then I would imagine like the first thing that they do is they're like, cool, we need an online platform, like huge marketing campaign, like streamers, everything. Like that's that. I think that's the first thing that they would do. Like they look at Ruin Terra, they look at Hearthstone, they'd just be like, yeah, we need to do this. Um, and so I think if they did have that much influence, they probably would have pushed the games more, or like they would have pushed FFG more. I probably don't think that they would have tried to slow them down because, like, F- like Disney is all about making money nowadays, right? So yeah, I, I just it, it, yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting idea. I, I I'm not sure how um, like I have, I'd have to think about it a little bit more, but I I think FFG's failures, and I will call them failures because they are just they are failures right like i've 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 never seen a company just screw up on so many games um and they have right like destiny was a bit of a flop um towards the end of it like netrunner same thing i understand it was licensing issues but um they if you if you're making enough money then you're gonna keep the license boys like it's how it works i've done this stuff before um so i i think it's it, it kind of just falls to them um, to like to pull their own pants up and uh, to make stuff happen, I think the competitive side of things could always have been pushed more. They always could have put more money on the table. Like look at Flesh and Blood, right? I hate to use an example for which I'm like affiliated with, um, but Flesh and Blood coming out of New Zealand, which is a game that probably like maybe no one listening to this has heard of, except people who know who I am. It's again coming out of New Zealand. I'm from Australia, not New Zealand. They're different places just for the Americans and the audience. Um, and the first tournament that they ran had a $10,000 prize pool, right? The very first tournament that they ran. That's more money in one tournament than FFG has functionally given out to every single person in this game, right? And do you think flesh and blood coming out of New Zealand has made more money than, than FFG selling Keyforge? Definitely not. So if they can do it, F of G sure as hell can. They can definitely make the digital platform, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah, no, 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 no. It's, they just need to, they need to pull their heads in. It's real straightforward.
0: Yeah. So like maybe the problem here is actually the opposite of what I said, right? Maybe the fact is, is maybe they should have a bigger push with their partners and affiliates like Disney and say, hey, we have these games that are our intellectual property. What can you do to help us promote and push this? And here's a percentage of the pie that we could make. Let's make a str- like a strategic economic decision of like where this could go and how much money could make, especially in a, a pandemic era, right? Like um, this pandemic basically came along in you know, kind of devastated Keyforge, right? Because we had the first half a year that Keyforge was out and then we didn't do much for a world championship because there wasn't really enough time to really get in position for that. So the big buildup was towards this year and a half mark where we were going to have the world championship. Then the pandemic struck us, right? And the game suffered greatly because not, no longer can we do OP, no longer can we do the things, no longer could we do our world championship. So how do you think Keyforge is going to ultimately be affected by it? And like when we come out on the other side, are, do you think it's going to be stronger or do you think it's just going to ultimately fail
1: so missing world championships was like the worst thing that could have happened to this game it was such a blow because starting a new game uh at any time you need to have like that like big tournament so that people can like flop them out on the table and say like this is this is how good i am and it really drives a lot of community interaction it's something that people watch especially like nowadays we have the technology where we can stream things, right? Like when Magic the Gathering started, that didn't exist. Um and we we're lucky that we we have that now. Um and these things are widely televised and widely broadcast and they bring in a lot of people. People find their like favorite players and favorite things that they like seeing. And Keyforge has a lot of hype moments, right? Like it's it's a game which inherently by its mechanics and, like, is this because it's a little bit RNG? Like, yeah, sure. Um, but KeyForge has some, like, very hype moments, like very hype top decks, and it's great to watch as a spectator. It's a good spectator sport. So they missed that opportunity, which was not their fault at all, right? Like, they, that was just because COVID happened. Um, the thing, then, is how do we continue to run physical card games through COVID? And the answer is you don't um and when is it going to finish who knows the problem is keyforge's ip is not strong enough to continue uh through something like this like magic the gathering is strong enough to continue so is Yu-Gi-Oh. so is pokemon like they're constantly releasing product they haven't even slowed down at all keyforge is like we just got mass mutations which like people are excited for but like you go and buy it and you play some sealed games and you're like sick cool so like a month from now no one cares and then we wait how long for um the spooky deep sea um thing that i don't know that's like another six months right so dark diving will be we,
0: november if they're on schedule still
1: oh is it actually that that soon yeah. all right well never mind then um <laughs> is, is the is their release schedule actually that fast um, their release schedules
0: were like if they stay to the original script, it was supposed to be every November and every May, because I believe they want to make big announcements at Gen Cons, and like at the big events in the in the May timeframe, and then they wanted to have something right before Christmas, which makes pl- perfect marketing sense.
1: <laughs> All right. So, so, so Mass Mutations got delayed. Okay. Cool. Um, and and hopefully, like Dark Tidings doesn't get delayed. Then it, it, the question is, like, so I, I, I've bought my Mass Mutation decks. I can't really do anything with them. I can go play some sealed games. Like, cool. So I'm literally just filtering the casual community here. And then Dark Titans comes out, and I also can't play. And realistically, um, and I don't want to be, like, some sort of doomsayer here, like, the next set comes out, and we're still in the middle of, of, of COVID, right? Like, this isn't ending at the end of this year. Like, I, I don't want to turn this into, like, a medical science podcast, right? But, like, the, if the long-term effects of this will be here for, for quite a quite a while. Um, so, uh, however long you think this is going to last, it's really like, it's shut the game down at a time when there was no game anyway. Like everyone was looking at worlds and vault warrior, which is supposed to be happening now, um, which is just not, and FSG is kind of like sitting on their hands and what we get are like crucible casts for people like, Ooh, like look at this sick new mechanic, like the evil twin, like who cares, right? Like it-, it doesn't matter if I can't do anything with these pieces of cardboard, Then it it doesn't matter to me. It's why like I I I never bought. I I didn't even order World's Collide when it came out. Um, that was because also we're in Australia. If you guys heard about the release debacle here, but um, and I didn't bother with mass mutations because I'm not gonna be able to do it when you do anything with it. And I'm sure it's I'm not gonna be ordering Dark Tidings either because I, especially as a competitive player, I have no reason to to buy these these pieces of cardboard. So how they had to deal with this was. Just knuckle down and say, yeah, we need the online platform, right? Like Crucible's great, and like shout outs to those guys who run it, but it's also like it's it's unpolished. Um, it has a terrible user interface. Uh, it's complicated to look at, um, it's very distracting. Um, it plays a loud horn sound when people join your game, which just scares me every single time and makes me I'm, I'm sure you can turn it off, but like I'm too much of a boomer to go and figure that out. So, yeah, I mean like, TCO is a great substitute, but it's not it, its not actually a sufficient one whatsoever. Like, FFG had to, t- t- to put their money into this online platform a very long time ago. Now, I mean, I'm sure not a single person's written even a line of code about an online platform, but they just need to do it, right? Like, it, it's just the way that this game has to live. Like, their IP isn't strong enough to run it like Dragon Ball, like Star Wars, um, or like Magic or Pokemon or whatever. So they just yeah they have to they have to make the online platform happen, um, and if they if they do, which, I mean I don't know what dev cycles for these things are. I imagine they're like a year. Um, even if COVID's done by the time that this online platform comes out, that's just the way that people will play. Like people will they will buy decks to play online, right? Like you can only use a deck online that you scan in yourself. People will they will buy decks and they will play and they will buy more decks they want to play online and it, look it, it's it, it's very straightforward like we're, we're, we're in the 21st century right like I hate to be like oh it's the current year guys but it, it is it's it's 2020 you know this is the way the games make money Terra has made more money on its opening day than Keyforge has made in its entire time that it's been around <laughs> like Keyforge has I don't know how many people even play this game in the world like a million maybe I, I would, I would be like shocked if it's that many, and like, Rune Terra had two times that many on its like first day worth of sign-ins or something like that. Like it's, 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 it's simple maths. You I know, mean, I sound like Alex Jones over here, right? But like, it's, <laughs> it really is. It's not hard. Like, I don't know what's going on in their executive, um, but yeah, part whatever, man. Part, that's that's how it is.
0: Part of part of the the reach for Legends of Ruterra was their IP as well, though. They, I mean, they came from the largest... Uh, yeah. The largest, like, what do they call those? Massive online... No, it's not that. Yeah, bad. MOBAs. Yeah. It's a MOBA, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, like, you know, it came from um, League of Legends, which is, you know, obviously going to have its own cult following at this point and stuff. And like you were saying about the IP for Keyforge, it's, like, it's just now being built. And I remember when um, Richard Garfield was discussing this game somewhat he was very adamant with the the announcement of vault warrior that you needed to have money behind it to make it grow he understands that from magic the gathering and i do believe that he this is his like follow-up to magic the gathering this is what he wishes he could have made magic the gathering from the start and because um, he doesn't like the secondary market and stuff but the the thing is is like with like your loot box scenario is that he made it even a bigger secondary market because everything i own is one of a kind so there is nobody else that can compete with me which is it which is an odd dynamic for a game like you know in magic if i want a force of will there's thousand people that have a force of will that can give me a price on a force of will and I can figure out what it is but if somebody wants my deck like my slang, like I'm the only one that has it and so I don't have to settle on a price unless I'm happy with it right so that's a huge like interesting like twist that I think Keyforge brought to the gaming uh, community like what's your take on or stance on that
1: so i'm um actually Scripting a um a video, it's like high production, like quote unquote high production quality, right? Uh, That I'm that I'm writing um about like the history and the state of the game. Just for for the listeners, like Jupiter, Jupiter did not know that I was about to like shill myself out here. So um this was not planned. (laughs) So um but that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about was that I think they had this vision for how the game was going to play and you know, it's going to be like, oh, no metagame. And I specifically remember this line that was used. That was like, Keyforge is like going into the jungle, right? But that was only the case. Well, I mean, it's the case somewhat if you're like, if you're a casual player and you only play sealed like once every couple of weeks or like kitchen table, then yeah, cool. Like you're always going to have that sense of discovery no matter what game that you play. But for those of us like in sort of higher tier level gameplay, like, there, there are like two viable archetypes from set one, like two viable archetypes from set two, like two to three viable archetypes from set three. And like, we know what they are. Like we know what houses they are. We know what cards get played. Like you, you look at your coded deck and you're like, cool, what houses are in this? Like Brobnar, Mars, Sanctum. Great, like this is unplayable. Like you you, you just, you, we know, right? Because there's, there's always going to be failures in the design process, which lead to certain cards being better than others. Now, sometimes it's intentional. But a lot of the times, it's just failures because people don't like. If you're a playtester, right? Even if you get to playtest every single day for three months, right? In the first day that a set gets released, more games are played than you will ever be able to playtest in your entire life. So you're gonna miss out on interactions, and that that model that Garfield had was it's cool. Like I get it. Like it's a, it's a great draw to the game and. It fools people into thinking that, oh, you know, like anyone can like pick up a deck and like do well, which is complete BS. Right? It's just not true, guys. <laughs> so it, it's a nice idea. And I think he he had the right intentions with it, but he also forgot that gamers wanna win. Like people enjoy winning at games. So they're always gonna try and optimize. There's always gonna be people like me who look at something and they're just like, okay, like this is better than that, right? Like I know for a fact that X card is better than Y card. Therefore, I want X card, not Y card. And if my deck has more of X cards than Y cards, it's a better deck. That was always going to be what was going to happen eventually, right? It was just a matter of time. Yeah, the
0: the the fact of the matter with Keyforges is that nobody argues what the top cards are.
1: All the discussion is
0: in the mid-range card game where it's like, oh, this card's kind of good in the right situation, and people have likes or dislikes there. But nobody's going to tell you that like bait and switch in its like alpha mode was like the best card in the game. Nobody's going to tell you library access was trash. Like nobody is going to say these things, right? And like even in the sets now, it's like there's cards that come out control the weeks and things like that. Like you know that you see basically re-rendered uh, versions of these cards that came out like long ago because they're trying to balance the, the power of those cards and the reason why Coda will never be weak is because Coda was busted like the, like you said the playtesters didn't really know where they were going and you see the evolution of the game which is a positive to me I think is that the playtesters have seen the cards that were busted and they they don't want them to necessarily disappear so you get a random maverick here or there or you get a legacy you know here or there that basically fills in and gives you these like old, old school like oh I remember when this card was just like the best in the meta and but the decks that they come in now are not so great right like i got a mass mutation deck with a time traveler in it and i was like woo! and then i looked at the rest of the deck and i was like man this deck is trash like it has a time traveler in it it has a super awesome logo suite but the rest of this deck is just trash like it's not going to be playable um so like i think that the interesting philosophy with keyforge is that the casuals like have like lots of fun playing because of the things you've said The competitive people are kind of, I think, limited in their excitement for the game because there's really only, like you said, like one or two like things that you're looking for that are going to be strong in the archetype but the, I think the strength of the game comes in the sealed format right in limited like because I don't think any other game in the world could compete with the amount of excitement that a limited tournament in KeyForge has given me like I played magic as well I, I played Pokemon I never played Yu-Gi-Oh because like they try to have knife fights at Yu-Gi-Oh games and I don't get it yeah but, like, <laughs> but <laughs> like but like but like um, like I played a bunch of cards like I played the old star like Star Trek I played X-Files I played played all these card games they were super fun but like the thing that keyforge has given me is when i go into a limited event man there's always some kind of excitement because i don't know what i'm gonna get and that's where the discovery phase is best i think for keyforge and i think it's probably the best limited format game in the world how do like where do you what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah so uh i i think it's um it's no secret that i don't really play limited I don't really enjoy it but that's not to say that I don't recognize that it's an incredibly enjoyable format for plenty of other people um I think and that's just to do with like my mentality like it's even if you just go down like the decks that are listed on my DOK page and you just go through the first eight decks they're they're exactly the same they're like all the same deck it's it's not even it's it's almost like there's a formula right and I enjoy the part of 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 games that I've always liked is deck building right now in Keyforge, you can't deck build, but you can deck select. And that's what I really like, is I like finding decks that... And sometimes they're just universally agreed to be good decks, um, like Zoldzillia or Olivier, and sometimes they're things like Agroflick and Brumhilde, which I took to Nationals, which, even though a lot of people would look at those and be like, ah, they're not great, but they're decks that I recognize were good for certain reasons, and that's why I won. So that's the part of the game that I enjoy. Now, in Sealed and Keyforge, I don't get that experience right i don't get the deck building experience at all unless i'm if it's like i get three decks and i have to pick one then i have it to an extent right so for me the sealed format is not as enticing however there are very very few people in the world who enjoy deck, pe- deck building and even fewer who are actually good at it and i am aware of the fact that i'm in a very very small part of The card gaming community over there like most top decks in other games are made by the same handful of less than 20 people um who are making pretty they're pretty much designing the meta every single time games come around like we i even saw this in rune terror like as soon as the like the most recent set came out i was talking to my friends i was like oh these decks are gonna be good and they're like nah forget about it and then they ended up being good and they got nerfed to the ground and then i said these would be good and then they were and so on it's it's a common thing like it's the same people who are good in every game who are good at deck building in Keyforge, if you are not someone who enjoys deck building and therefore you don't want to, but you also don't want a neck deck, then Sealed is so fun. You rock up, the deck's already made for you, you get to like play with these cool interactions with these cool cards, like plenty of them which you've probably never played with before. Um, and that, that's a great experience, right? Now, sometimes that leads to you having uh, an experience where you discover that a card is not as good as you thought it was. That's an experience that I personally... Like, I will never have um, that experience. And it might be a positive experience or a negative experience for you because there are certain cards in this game that I have never played with or against, right? Like, I, I can I can say pretty much, like, 100%. I've never actually... No, this is now a lie because I'm playing in a tournament where I'm running a deck that's 40... like It's like 42 sass or something like that um, for a bit of a meme. Um, I was about to say that I've never played with or against the card Gromid. I have the Card Gromid in this deck, but I've never played it. I discard it every time because it's a terrible card. <laughs> but you know, for some people, it might have this interesting experience where they go to Sealed and they see this card and they're like, Oh wow, like I want to play this card, I want to see if I can make it work in the deck that I've been given. And that's cool. I really appreciate that about this guy. I think it's one of the coolest parts of the game is that that discovery experience does exist when you play in those sealed environments. And it's just really cool to be able to sit down with a bunch of people and, and, and play Sealed. Now, if with my group of friends, would I do that? probably not like if we were going to play sealed like we'd rather draft so we'd play a game where we can draft because we like the deck building inside of things but again we are the vast minority and for the vast majority of people it's a fantastic thing that they can sit down with keyforge and enjoy that that fantastic experience of of playing around with cards that they ordinary would, wouldn't play with and interactions that they they get to discover on their own for the first time instead of you know, looking at a set coming out and immediately saying, Oh, this too much to protect card is pretty good when you have eleven cards in the set that steal one. So yeah, let's let's run let's let's run these cards together, or saying like, oh, you know, this uh you know like like the Witch of the Eye um uh, dominator bubble control of the Weak, Like that's that that's like level one, and then you go up another level and you're like, oh witch of the eye into mimicry, like that's pretty crazy, isn't it, guys? <laughs> you know, we don't need to play these combos to know that they're good. Whereas, if you are a casual player, you get that experience of like, oh, you do this for the first time, and you get to go, wow, that was really cool. And I think that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, every time I see somebody play a Gromid, I just hear General Akbar go off in my head going, it's a trap! Like, don't play that card. It is absolutely horrendous. And it never ends up well, by the way, folks. And I know, I, I know, I know the Mars. I know the Mars people out there are probably like getting ready to riot and shoot me with their phaser guns. But Gromit is trash. But like, uh, like I'm on, I'm on record. The card, the card I hate most, but at, at least it has some playability in certain decks. Is Dimension Door. Like that card is just like such a bad tempo and such a bad card for what it does as far as it goes, and it drives me nuts. I've never been happy with it.
1: I yeah, I mean that's fair enough. Yeah, and I mean some part of the interesting thing in this game is sometimes you do get decks where those cards are good, and I even I find that interesting because there are times where I get cards in my decks that ordinarily and Dimension Door is such a good example because I actually have a deck now that plays Dimension Door really well. I have um, I picked up Salvador, and that deck actually can use Dimension Door uh, because oftentimes you are arising into a board of six six logos creatures um and you can actually get value out of it but it and that's interesting like sometimes um i think tolos tolos is another one where i think that card was rated pretty poorly but in in i get mad value out of it um in fact a lot of the time i'm generating like six plus amber out of it in a game and in seeing those like niche interactions like that would never exist in magic right like you 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 don't make um like certain cards are just not good right and that's just that's just it like anytime where you have shock and lightning bolt you always play lightning bolt because lightning bolt does three damage and shock does two damage right now you you can find an argument for one specific situation where shock is better but it, 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 it's it's so rare that you would never do it. Now in Keyforge, you're forced to play these interactions, and that can actually be pretty cool to me.
0: Yeah, I believe that in Keyforge you find the attrition war to be more relevant than in Magic. Like with Magic, it's like you you min max, like you pay the least amount of mana for the most buck, you know, bang for your buck, like you, you were uh, explaining. But here in Keyforge, like I feel like when I play a card, I want to make sure that my card is generating more more advantage for me then my opponent can get back like and that's like the way that I, I, I see it as like the algorithm and the math I see when I play the game and like I've, I've proven this to a certain point already but the, the math is still not perfect so I haven't released my, my my findings on it but like I think every deck basically has cards that give you plus values and there's cards that give you you know that take away from that value and then there's the interaction between the two players but there is an algorithm I believe to to obviously to the game that basically a lot of people don't even think about and I've proven this with a couple of my friends and said, let's play this game, and I'll tell you plus one, minus one, like basically, you know how you're going. And it's like a lot like counting cards in, in when you're playing blackjack, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like, and, and that's kind of how I feel with Keyforge, which makes it kind of binary in in the sense of how you play it. But at the same time, it's fascinating because, like, um, like you said, some of these cards, like that you that would be trash in some decks, can sometimes find value, which is something that no other game can say that like they're trash cards can find value unless you're talking about like Popper and Magic, like I don't know, like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess in, in Magic, the only time that cards find value that they didn't have before, or at least nowadays, right? Like, back in the good old days when, like, people didn't think that Yorgmoth's bargain was good, like, pay one life, draw one card. Oh, yes, please. Like, that's, that's because people didn't understand game theory because card games hadn't been out for very long. Nowadays, that doesn't happen because we, we know how to evaluate cards properly. The only time that these interactions ever come out is when a new set comes out. And some sort of um, support now comes out for an archetype that never existed before. Uh, Dragon Ball is actually really good at doing this because they release, like, I mean, obviously Goku gets more cards than anyone else, but they just decide, like, oh, like, this set is the, like, the Margin Boo set. And then just, like, all the Boo cards become crazy. Um, And that's kind of an interesting thing that they do. In KeyForge. it's very different. It's like those interactions always existed. And technically like you can put any card in front of me, right? And say like make this card good and I'll I'll be able to tell you like the other thirty five cards that you need, but you need to go and find the deck that has those thirty five cards. And that's kind of the the, the unique element of this game.
0: Yeah, the easter egging in the game is real, and like trying to find decks that that like matter to you is is it real. And another thing too, I found in KeyForge, which is uh is kind of interesting too, is that I feel like the decks live with certain people and they die with certain people. Like there's oh cer- yeah, there's certain there's certain decks like like when I got um uh, Inca the obtuse. Like yeah yeah, uh, yeah whatever that deck was it was really not a great deck for the person that traded it to me and it was like it had a decently good SAS number but like everybody was like oh that he was just like ah this deck just doesn't ever win for me and I'm like interesting you know cool I'll take it, it as the two nature's call and like you know it, it does good things but it has Brobnar and like the Brobnar is weird but I get it let me see like what I can do with it easily my best deck and now it's up to 83 SAS it just keeps growing because people start like started seeing the value and the the weird like the the way that it ties in. But um, that deck has taken me far, and the guy that gave it to me like didn't think that it like had value. And there's been decks that I've given up that simply because I looked at it and went, "This is kind of a control deck, and I don't play control. I'm not a good control player. I'm an aggressive player, and I like to play my math. Like I like to play like I said the attrition game. So in control you can't play attrition because in control you have to time. You have to basically be on time. So to me, I think those are the two like elements of the game that like how you are. You either play control and you play a time-based game, or you play an aggressive game where you you're basically out attritioning your opponent and um I think that those are two kind of unique ways that you can look at the game that um, a lot of people don't but they just you know they play their houses basically right like but yeah
1: look I think um there is an issue I don't want to call it an issue but I mean it's an issue there is an issue in the game with I guess education um I hate to say that people like don't listen to the pros enough because that's not what I want to say, right? But uh, some of the, like, okay, there are a lot of content creators out there and, like, some of them are large content creators where I read the stuff that they come out with and I'm just like, this is just wrong. And, like, people are reading this. There's one that in particular sticks out in my mind, which is when I saw um, someone was talking about mass mutations and they were talking about, like, oh, what are, like, our, our favorite and least favorite cards come out? And, like, the least favorite card that they had in Logos was Zap which was when I evaluated Logos and Mass Mutations, that was like one of the best cards that I picked from Logos um, because, I mean, like, it's, it's a board wipe across one chain. Like, that's it. Like, it's real straightforward. And like, the fact that it doesn't hit mutants doesn't mean anything to me because I look at the number of relevant mutants in the set and I'm like, yeah, okay. I care more when I'm playing against the other three sets and this kills everything for one chain. Like, that's it's pretty dank. Um, so, like, I see things like that. Uh, it does kind of make me think that when when you say like decks live and die with the player, it's because people just aren't as good at keyforge in general as people are in other games, and it comes down to an extent to net decking, right? Because if I give one of my decks to someone and I coach them on how to play it, they're going to play that deck really, really well, but then they can't transfer those skills really into other decks that they're playing, unless they understand, like, oh, you're, like Mother is a good card because it net increases my hand size, which means I have more options per turn. Whereas, like, Neurosiphon is, like, a decent card, but it's not quite as good as Mother. Or, like, Mother, why is, like, Mother a better card than, like, Time Traveler? Not Help from Future Self, Time Traveler. Like, why is Mother a better card than Time Traveler? It's because Time Traveler, I probably can't play the two cards that I draw. But on mother, I will always be able to play the cards that I draw. Things like that. Like it's, it's very, um, yeah. There are like certain elements of of community education that I think are absent in this game because you can't net deck, and that's led to so many times. Like okay, here's here's a great example of it. After I won nationals, the first thing that I did when I got home was I watched the recording of myself playing. Right and. I picked out probably like three or four misplays that I made, which were probably like would have increased my win rate by maybe like one percent each one. Right now, I won. I won in the end, but I could have had a four or five percent higher probability of winning had I played that perfectly. And when I look at vault tour and all the vault tour recordings, and this again, like this is not a huge hit on all the guys playing a vault tour, but in every game that I'm watching, there's like three or four turns where there are just drastically different ideas coming out on the table from what I have. Now, sometimes that's because people have seen different lines that I might not have seen. Sometimes the difference is really small. Sometimes I've seen Volt Tours won on Lost on like turn two, and it's been like a really small decision that people have made that you would, in any other game, you would you would just not expect pros to make mistakes like that. Um, and they never mention and no one really thinks about it and then like 10 turns later they're like oh you know this happened yada 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 and i'm like no you lost the game on turn 2 like that that's what actually happened and and that that level of like critical thinking about the game is absent in in keyforge unfortunately for the most part right like i think there's like less than probably 20 players in the world who i would who i genuinely respect their opinions on game theory when it comes to keyforge which is not a lot compared to other games <laughs>
0: yeah that's funny if you wanted to see a uh, turn two loss like you were talking about go back and watch my round four albany uh (laughs) turn because uh i had a nature's call in my hand and my opponent basically played his cincinnatus rex or what it was the one that taps basically and um i had the worst brain fart i've ever played when and i was playing inca too which is my deck right and i knew this and i Conditioned myself for the thought if I ran into dinos, like I felt like I was like my my game against dinos was great, like Inko was great about killing dinos, but all day long I had to fight through Logos, decent and uh, something else that wasn't uh, dinos, and like um, it was I was getting taxed, and I finally got this matchup with dinos, got excited. Like, so turn two, he plays Rex and starts his little combo with his uh, that he had going and stuff like that. And all I had to do was bounce back all the creatures on my side of the board to my hand. And if, like that would have ended the whole cycle that he had that he got ahead of me with. And um, it, it, the game was over from there because because like I basically gave him a turn where he got up a key on me and I just never caught back up. I almost caught back up at the end, but I really blew that game on turn two. And like when I went back and watched the video, I saw it and I went like, wow, I'm an idiot. Like And sometimes you just miss those things. But I think... Sure. All, Oh. I think I think also part of the 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 issue with professionals in KeyForge is that we don't really have a professional like playtesting group like like the closest thing we have is Team Sass. They have a lot of really high level players that play a lot and they like think, but like again, they're piloting their decks to the point of perfection, like as best as they can play it. Plus, they have very strong decks and deck ideas, right? Like Donkaro is very good at identifying like good decks and like strong cards and like you know like they basically do a really good job of it. And that's why they run SAS. That's why they run uh, decks of Keyforge. And that's why people use that tool. But I think people are also handicapped by that tool because they think that SAS number means so much. And ever since I started doing any kind of teaching, coaching, podcasting, any kind of like uh, any kind of keyforge related thing i've always told people that forget the numbers forget the things that you're looking at learn the theories of your deck because i think the theories of your deck are the things that drive your deck and this is what makes some decks better in other people's hands than other people is because like you have to learn how to play it right like pink fraud which is dunkaro's two-time vault tour winning deck that is basically a monster i remember when he was like looking to purchase that from um from uh, carlo or, or i can't remember his name anymore but like he had the big collection they were thinking about getting that huge collection and i remember play testing him with it and i was able to go kind of 50 50 with him and stuff and whatever but like if i played those same decks now against him he would destroy me because the deck is just that much better once you figured it out and like the the work that goes into learning those decks and stuff like that is something that can't be like overlooked but the thing is is, is it's not like like, like what you're talking about, like the level one combos, like the cute combos that are like, wow, oh, this is great when you pull it off, it's so powerful. Yes, but they're also easy to disrupt. It's kind of like the sins, right? Like right now in Mass Mutations, everybody's like, oh, the sins are so good. If you kill the sins, they don't do things. Like they like if you get rid of the sins, they your deck falls apart, right? Like if you if yeah. you don't have a way to protect those sins, you lose. Um so like if you wanna play the game where you basically are telling me that you're gonna play sins and win with sins, then it's basically like playing Martian Generosity or playing any kind of other combo deck. It's like I just have to deny you your win condition. If I can deny you your win condition, like and I have good ways of doing it, like board wipes and things like that, then I have no nothing to worry about. Like, like like I can hold those board wipes the whole game and chain myself until I, I, I need to use it and just win through attrition, right? Like win through knowing that I'm going to have an answer to your to your Hail Mary, right? And that's I think yeah. I think in, in Keyforge, like one of the things that people don't take into account is theory. And ever since the beginning I've been telling people you always want some kind of artifact removal. And a lot of people basically fought off that idea and said, You don't need artifact removal to have a great deck. I'm like, to go to the top levels you need artifact removal because there are too many artifacts that can win a game if you don't deal with them. Right? Like I'm not saying that it always is gonna yep. hit or it's not gonna always give you something, but Poltergeist has always been a card that I want to see in my death suite because Poltergeist gave me value even if I didn't need it and it was important right like and uh i think a lot of people just they lack on theory so
1: yeah no i think that that's right i think the sins were like that's such an. this is a really interesting example that you that you brought up so when i was looking at the sins in my blind review the two that i picked as being the best were um greed and pride all right greed being the one that draws for each sin you have and pride being the one that wards your all of your sins because in my mind, even if I only have those two, like if my deck was ten discards plus those two sins, I still have like double watered end of my turn draw two extra cards, which is nuts, right? <laughs> that's crazy good. It doesn't require any sort of further synergy than that. Even just greed on a turn is just draw a card. Like that great. That's a great card. So I, those were the two where I just said, okay, these 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 are good ones. I think a lot of people agreed on greed. But then I saw a lot of people talking about um, Envy and Gluttony. The the thing where you'd like, you, you, you if you have like three sins, I think you reap, you capture all your opponent's Amber and then you use Gluttony and you add all that Amber to your pool, right? But the problem that I, I always had was like, Gluttony, when you play it, you have to exalt it like X number of times for, um, which just, you just made a pinata out of it when when it hit the board. And people look at these like, commas, where they're like, oh, I can capture all my opponent's Amber and then like, add it to my pool every, so you can basically steal all your opponent's amber every single turn, which sounds great, but then, this is sort of this, like, the level one sort of thing, where it's like, oh, steal all my opponent's amber and, like, capture it, like, that's fantastic. But it's ultra-vulnerable, as opposed to I have a sticky, like, can't be removed, draw two cards every single turn, in, like, interaction on my board, which for me is, like, far, far more valuable. That's why the why, why people not realize this at this point. Like, the game's been out for long now like a year and a almost two years right it's like almost two years yeah and there are still people out here who like don't see that like oh mother is a better card than daughter in like every single way because you can't remove it and you can actually kill stuff with it right like is elusive cool yeah but mother's just a better card like it's stickier um and it's more likely to go off uh properly so there there are like elements of of evaluation where i'm like okay we should not be this deep into the game where people don't understand this right like in the first year i got it like i knew when i showed up to nationals like people were gonna look at my decks and just be like oh okay yeah this is pretty dumb like double arise triple control the week yeah that's pretty dirty right like uh, fine okay um, people are going to look at like agroflick and be like, "Cool, you can make like six Amber a turn every turn from turn two until I lose the game." Like that's that's dirty. Like we're going to look at Zilla and be like, "Cool, sometimes I lose on turn three and there's nothing I can do about it." Right? Like that's uh, th- this is the level that you're operating at. But I'm still operating at that level now. Like I haven't gotten that much better, and neither have the people from SAS or the people from um, uh the Italian team Da Vinci or the people from like the French team. Um... We haven't gone that much better at the game. It's just that neither is anyone else, right? So there's been no, there's been no push. Um, so it's just never happened, right? Because the, so the casual end of the community has never really attempted to. They've never even tried to really catch up to us. So it, and that's that's a bit of a shame because it's not like people don't want to gatekeep out of this game, right? Like the most important thing in any game is the community. Otherwise, the game dies. And I would love to see more people with more competitive decks um popping up and that's always a, a good sign for any game in my opinion but for some reason there's a there's just a lot of misinformation going out there and like could i be like oh like i should be posting more aggressively or something like yeah maybe but like you know i uh i don't really know if that's that's on me um I, or if i'm the right person to do that sort of thing uh, and it, it's also just a matter of people who are casual players saying to themselves one day you know what like like i want to be good at this game and like having that drive within them to then decide that they're going to be a good player i'm not saying you need to win the world championships but just like don't be stuck at the bottom table of your locals for the rest of your life like that's sad Mm -hmm. why would you do that just go home and play mario odyssey or something like that's your at least you'll win right that's you, you need to have some drive i'm not saying you need to be the best player in the room but like, you know, have some fire in your belly every once in a while. Like, try try and win. And, like, if you want to do that, you know, ask the people who are better than you. Like, why is this card good? I don't want to get into another discussion on the Facebook page about why, um, like, what the what's his name? Frankie the Economist? That um, yeah,
0: card's so bad.
1: Yeah. I don't want to get into another discussion on on the Facebook page with, like, four or five people, like, cracking on at me telling me that i'm wrong this card is bad because i'm not i know i'm not wrong and i can try to explain it but like i'm not running a class every single time i post on facebook right Mm -hmm. so there needs to be some forward and backwards
0: it it has to do more with that attrition thing i was talking about when you look at that card for sure because you're basically giving your opponent as much as you're getting and like that makes you zero sum which is that's a whole nother ballpark and the funny thing is is like um i've seen people on these facebook groups that like like they basically ask questions about playing and stuff and like new players and stuff like that i always offer any kind of coaching or slash like you know discussion with anybody that wants it and it's completely free all you have to do is get on discord and get on voice with me where i can either show you and like screen share with you and explain the things i know or that i see and by no means am i the best player in the world and i'm not trying to say that i'm not being arrogant but but I can give you the basics. I can give you the theory. Cause that's the thing that I'm good at. Like that's the thing that I can see. I'm a better coach than I am a player because the, the my biggest problem is my decision trees. I see them all. And I pick the one that I think is best. And most of the times, maybe it's not the best unless I'm super like locked in. And the problem with me sure. is, is like, I'm, pr- I'm, I'm probably slightly on the spectrum. So therefore locking in is not something I can do on a regular basis. I usually have to be motivated by anger or by like some kind of other emotion to be fully locked in so like there's people that i i don't lose to that are really good and there's people that i lose to all the time that probably aren't very good but like i don't care either way but like the thing is is like the theory of the game is where i i enjoy i like breaking down i was a cryptologist in the navy so like i like breaking down the code i like breaking down the algorithm i like looking at the math of the game i like looking at the things and how they interact and if you're going to just like be a player that sits on SAS and basically goes well it's a high SAS, so it has to be good i'm just going to play it till i figure it out you're not doing yourself service as a player to do that. Like, that's my PSA for you. You're not doing yourself service. Is SAS a good tool? Yes, it gets you in. Does it tell you certain things? Yes, it does. Arc is an amazing way to kind of get a, a nutshell of what your deck can do. But it's only going to take you to that tier one, maybe tier two level of playing your deck. You will never hit tier three or tier four. Like, it will not happen with you just trying to rely on SAS. So that's my... Yeah, I might,
1: I'm, there's something I want to throw in on there, which is like, when it comes to SAS, right a lot of top, and I mean, you understand this, but um, listeners may not, which is that a lot of top players independently reach similar evaluations, right? Like, very, very similar evaluations. I think in Mass Mutations, there were, like, seven or eight cards in the entire set that I evaluated, like, remarkably differently um, to the guys at Sass. And, like, one of them was Dark Harbinger, which, like, I think they got completely wrong. Um, They seem to think that card's great. I think it's, like, Borderline terrible, but fandangle is, is the better,
0: the better option.
1: Fan oh, look, look, whatever, right? And like, that's not what I want to get into. What I want to say is like, independently, we get we we end up at similar conclusions, and that even though on some cards we get them wrong, right? Very rarely on game breaking cards. I think the only one uh, that, to my recollection is like punctuated equilibrium where I was really high on that card when it first came out. And I think it took other people a little bit of time to catch up to it, but fine. Yeah, look, it, I think it, it, some people have to grow on it, but generally the top players end up with similar evaluations of cards. And if your deck on Saths is like, like really high up there, it's probably good, right? Like those decks that are like 90 plus, like they're all really good decks because just the raw value of certain cards is just commonly agreed upon, right? And you, can you do as well as those decks with, with lower-rated decks? Yeah, absolutely, because there's a lot of things that it's just impossible to pick up on in an evaluation um, on SAS, right? Like, I, I've historically, the decks that I've played have floated in, like, the 80 to 85 range um, on, like, modern SAS. and I'm beating people who have had 90-plus decks uh, fine right is that is that because of player skill to an extent yes is it because of familiarity yes to an extent but there is a point where SAS is relevant however w- beyond like w- when when you're below that point like it's it's such a minefield right like you it's it's really up to you to figure out exactly what's going on like there are decks that are um rated lower that are going to be better than decks that are much, much higher, and it's your job to pick those out. So, like, yes, at the very top end, like, Sass is correct, right? Like, like are uh, Akari and, like, Daphne Vega and Vroom, like, some of the best decks in the world? Like, yeah, yeah, they are, right? Like, it, it's, it's, it's a fact. But the, that's some of the best decks. The other best decks, they, I mean, I think it's not even a stretch to say that, like, some of the best decks in the world are currently floating around the 70s. And um, it's got to do with, like, the metagame you're playing them in, like, how well you're playing them, like, how prepared you are for the matchups that you're playing. That's what's, that's what's really going to um, affect your game plan uh, more than anything else. So, like, don't be disheartened. Like, you, I've said in the past, like, and I think this was, like, what made me famous. It's like, I went on record and I was like, there is a cost to playing this game at a high level, in Triad specifically, in Triad, <laughs> only in Triad. Right, because triad is a stupid, broken format that is unfair for people to play in. However, in triad, there is a, a minimum cost that you need because you need to have certain quality decks. Most people aren't playing triad. Most people are playing Archon Solo. They're playing Adaptive. You don't need to drop four figures if you want to win in those formats. Like you can, like you can do it. Like you, you just get there. Like yeah, motivation. Like you'll make it if you if you want to. And you find those decks that you want to practice, Uh, but you need to understand what a good deck is. And the onus is on you, not on Sass, to explain exactly where that power comes from. It's the power within you. Yeah, (laughs) Alex Jones. (laughs) What's the name of that, that pill that he has that he like shills to people? I forget. Anyway, it's like some sort of like masculine muscle mass thing.
0: The thing too with um, like these decks and two that can be deceiving to you on sas as well that people don't take into account. They're like you go, well, I had a 68 and I just beat a 90. Okay, the reason that happens sometimes is because a lot of the times lower sas decks can be really good in one or two houses, and if those houses fall in line, they play like a much higher level deck. Um, and this is a trap that when you're buying decks too that, that, that happen to people when they go, wow, I tested this deck out a couple times and like, man, it just felt so good because they hit the optimal lines. But then when they get it in person and they start playing it, they go, man, this deck has some real issues. And the reason why is because you have to play three houses. Like you can't, like you, like when you're playtesting, a, a, like another PSA for you, when you're play testing these decks to see if you want them or if you're going to make it, a, an investment into them or a trade for them, it's like you have to play each each game with like a different house coming out of the gate like you want to play with all three of them coming out of the gate and see how the balance of your deck is because a lot of times you can be grossly like deceived by Logos and Dees because they come out and they can just own the game by themselves like they don't have to have help if they get on the right streak and you feel empowered by those houses and you go wow this is great and this and that but then that one time you hit like your Untamed or your sorian or your Sanctum or, or your Brobnar like and they come out the gate first like your deck just seems like it, fall, it fell apart. Like it, it feels like an absolutely completely different deck. The uh, the key to the best decks in the world is that all three houses are very balanced and they all basically can come out the gate and then they all synergize with each other. Like they have things that advance the game state from each of the different houses. That's my PSA for you guys. I don't know how Philip feels, but I'm pretty sure that he would agree with that statement.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, I think there's a lot of personal evaluation that goes into things. I think that's just kind of the be like that's it. Long and short you need to you need to put your touch into it. You need to educate yourself um, in some way uh, before you can do that. Uh, it's important you do, uh, and once you have, then you'll uh, you'll be a better player. And that's 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 where it's at, man. Like you gotta follow the people around you who are worth following, um, and and learn from them in a in a in a practical way. I mean, that that that's kind of it.
0: Watch video, watch video footage of top-end vault tour players. Watch what they do. Pay attention. Study. Um, Watch your own games. Like record your games on Twitch. Get OBS. Download it. Like record yourself playing games. Go back and like reevaluate your games. I can't emphasize how important it is to look in the mirror at yourself and basically be able to be critical of yourself and the lines that you picked instead of being defensive and trying to block them. But with all that said, we are hitting like an hour talking now. So yay juiciness for all of you, but, um, we're going to move on with this. Uh, and basically we'll save it for another day. Phil is always, you were magnificent and, um, I'm sure people are going to love the podcast and I thank you for coming on. You are always welcome to talk with me on any kind of, uh, platform. That you like because I always have great conversations with you, and I thank you as a friend. And is there any closing remarks you'd like to put into this?
1: <laughs> um. Yeah. Look, I don't want to say too much. I think you know the game's like well positioned. Uh, I hope the community like sticks together. And like I really do want to stress again that right now in COVID is is the sort of time when FFG is kind of leaving us behind, right? And like you know if people from FFG are listening like you know yeah i'm i'm calling you out like you guys are doing a like a terrible job i could do a better job in my backyard um with no internet connection than you guys are doing right now so like this is the, when FFG falls behind like they are right now this is the time to support sort of like independent content creators um like dupes here or like people who are trying to run their own tournaments trying to run their own community initiatives i know there are Dozens of online like community leagues that people are running. I'm in one in Australia, and a friend of mine is running, um and he's doing a fantastic job. So shout out to Class for that. Um, any sort of competitive league that's being run online, like throw your support behind it because that's what will actually keep the game going and, and keep the game alive. Um, and you know, I mean, you've managed to get this whole interview without managing without mentioning KPL. Um, <laughs> I don't know how. Uh, but like the Premier League that Joops is going to be running soon is such a huge step forward, like, trying to bring the professional community uh, or, like, the more competitive side of the community out um, and showcase to you guys exactly, like, what top-level Keyforge looks like. Like, these are the sorts of initiatives that you need to get behind, follow them, support them, and join them and play and, like, you know, test your strength, like, Mortal Kombat that, and 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 you'll you'll really, You'll make sure the game stays alive and you'll become better as a player, and you'll enjoy the game more as well. and you don't, you don't need to wait for FFG to come out with their next like milk toast crucible cast where like they give a bunch of excuses for like why nothing is happening. Um, yeah, I get that COVID's happening as well, but like the world goes on, and there are solutions to everything, they haven't been provided. If, if the community members are going to give those solutions, then support them because they're the people who are going to keep the game running
0: www.keyforgepremierleague.com come check us out like that is going to be an initiative also I will give a shout out to the code a team the uh, Keyforge Online Team Event group in uh, the UK, I believe, they've been doing great things as well. So whether you want to play as a team or you want to play individually, there's plenty of tournaments out there that are world renowned and like they're basically all. They have a huge stretch of competition. Thank you for the plug and uh, making me plug myself, which I hate doing, but it's going to be there. And like if you want to test your your metal, like uh, steel on steel right like we're going to sharpen it and we're going to try to bring you the best of the best so that you can learn and watch these people play because the the value there is that they're going to play and do things that will educate you and they'll help you see what high level of play of this game can be um we haven't had that yet like especially with the lack of um vault tours and uh grand championships that we haven't had since COVID started so for this game to survive i think something like this has to happen that's the reason why i put my foot down to do it so that's my plug for me um i thank you phil for your time and your uh your words of wisdom i thank you for your encouragement for the league i hope you do well in it um i remember um all grand champions all vault tour winners and anybody that is in the top 10 on the current vault tour leaderboard you are eligible for free entry into the league if you sign up before the 21st of this month Uh, um but at noon I think is when I put the cutout date for it but if you go to that website www.keyforgepremierleague.com you can click on the burning the stockpiles and you can enter yourself in and basically get your spot reserved before the qualifiers start in October I think that's everything so
1: good eye. thank you so much for having me mate.
0: All right, well, thank you. And uh, this is Jupiter, uh, aka Fifth Planet Keyforge. That is Phil, the Australian Grand Champion. And we say good night. See you guys. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. And if you would like to be part of the conversation, reach out to us at Keyforge Premier League at gmail.com and join the show. Without you, we couldn't be us. Check out www.keyforgepremierleague.com for links to all our content, including learn to play videos and critique on gameplays. No matter what your level is, you are always welcome. Be a part of it. The Keyforge Premier League. Get there.